that one right there. Yes. Thank you, brother. Everybody ought to be able to sing that. I want everybody to learn this song. Yeah. Yeah. It's not hard. May your bad days prove that that God is good. Start it up. May your strength keep you near the cross. Yeah. May your strength show you that you need God. May all your battles. In the way they should. The way they yeah. And may your bad days prove that God is good. That God is yeah, may your whole life prove that God is good. One more time, one more time. Come on. May your, may your struggle keep you. Right at the foot of the cross. And may your trouble show that you need God. May every one of your battles in the way they shoot. And may your bad days prove that God is good. May your whole life your whole life that God is my Lord your whole life my Lord my Lord bless you thank you great job great job great job bless you bless you that's right that's right everybody get some of that yeah everybody get some of that This song messes with you all week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Find yourself prominent in places and miss saying the words like I do. But you got the spirit of it right. Yeah. Yeah. Make your whole life prove that God is good. this song two weeks ago at a, a birthday party <laughs> for a 90 year old woman who I've known just about my whole life and it was it was just one very talented gifted singer stood up and sing, sang this song really well and it's it's messed me up just listening to it it's messed me up and I came back and I said and I said to Reggie I said Reggie can we try this and there you have it. apparently messed you up too. Jonathan McReynolds Lord bless him the right one that day it's amazing how things get in your spirit Timing is everything. 
sometimes we need to hear stuff like that. And it's no doubt a song that may not affect you today the way it affected me. That's all right. That's how everything is. I'm, I'm at a different place in my walk and my relationship than you are. Yeah, so I wouldn't expect it to slay you like it's slaying me. But as George Jones used to say, just keep living. One day you're going to walk into one of them old songs. Oh, yeah. It's going to throw you for a loop. Yeah. Started a sermon series a couple of weeks ago entitled Flawed Heroes. Flawed Heroes. Seems a contradiction. Because we have this notion in our mind that if you're going to be a hero, you've got it all together. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that God used someone who had it all together. Nowhere. None of the folk who we, who we reverence, who we lift up, almost without exception, there are a few who lived holy and righteous lives, and they are marked as an example. Daniel is one of them. Of course, we know Jesus Christ is the only one who did it perfectly. But no one else matches that mark. And after God rescued the people who were in bondage in Egypt, whom he later named Israel, after he rescued them and gave them the promised land, which had been identified long before, they got into a pattern of loving and leaving God. Yeah, he'd rescue them. They do all right for a little while. <laughs> and then, Willie, they mess up again. They just keep on. Just, please help us, God. God would come in and rescue them. And they do all right for a little while. And then they turn their backs on them again. Mess up again. Pattern started. Say ouch if you're in this pattern with the Lord. You're not alone. There are lessons in Scripture on people who make promises to the Lord and mean it. Mean it. I ain't going to never do that no more, Lord. I promise. And then life happens. And then you find yourself saying, I ain't going to never do that again, Lord. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> yeah, that's why you better stop praying and give me a second chance, Lord, because you burned up second a long time ago. But after the most significant leader, well, I'll say the second most significant leader of the Exodus passed away, Joshua. The Bible says that there arose a generation in Israel that didn't know the Lord. Just didn't know him time had passed enough that there weren't enough people around to tell the stories of how good God had been to them, the mighty things that he had done. And so God started sending specific leaders to the Israelites. But sadly, each time he sent one, the nation got worse and worse. When they would be okay while the leader was there, Cast, and then when the leader would die, they would fall back into idolatry. And it would be worse than the time before. Then they'd have another 40 years or so of, you know, problems or how many years of problems. And they begged the Lord for help and he would send someone and they'd have a good time while the leader was there. Yeah. And I must ask the question, if you're only good when somebody watching you, are you really good? Sometimes, I'm going to step in there and answer that question. Sometimes you are. Sometimes you have every good intention. Yeah, somebody said, though, the road to somewhere people don't want to go is paved with good intentions. Yeah, it takes discipline, sacrifice. And so we talked about a couple of weeks ago the generation 
that came after Joshua, and we called it the second generation syndrome, which still exists today. That malady still exists today. We talked about them, and we talked about the problem that comes with men in that second generation that didn't know the Lord. And, and then we came and we started talking about some of those people who came to lead the Lord. And the first one out the gate that we talked about was a woman. Her name was Deborah. Deborah. Deborah was something else. And while the people had Deborah, everything went well. But then, of course, nobody lives forever. Chapters 4 and 5 tell us in Judges. We're in Judges. We're in the book of Judges. I'm sorry. The study is on Judges. And chapters 4 and 5 tell us about Deborah. Now, there were others who came before her, Ehud and Othniel, and they did well. But Deborah is the most significant one of note during that time. She was unique in that she was a woman who led thousands of men. And they wouldn't go into battle without her. She and her general named Barak. His name was Barak. Yeah, we got some names in here. Barak said, I'll go to battle, but not unless you go with me. If you don't go, in fact, he said in scripture, if you don't go, I won't go. That's how much respect she had. She led them into battle. And, and then we saw an extra, no, extraordinary way that God can fight your battles without you having the resources you think you need. Yeah, God can use natural events to fight your battle. There is nothing off the table when God is fighting your battle. You are limited to the sphere of things that you can control, but God controls everything. There's nothing wrong with God fighting your battle with wind or rain or storm and getting rid of your enemy like that, and that's what he did in that battle. He showed them that he was mighty. And so after Deborah comes, we get into chapter 6, 7, and the beginning of 8. And there is one who arises today who gives us a lesson that I want you to know could be somebody in his lesson. His name is Gideon. Gideon. And if there had to be a subtopic for Gideon's life and message, it would be God says I am enough. God says, I am enough. Because I just got this notion, Karen, that there are some people in here who get to a place in life, and maybe they felt this way all their life, when they've heard enough people tell them what they are not, tell them what they cannot do, what they're incapable of doing. And they find themselves in a place where they think they're less than. And God, I got to tell you, can take anybody and make them into whatever he wants them to be. And so stop letting people frame the narrative of your life because they look at you and say, you don't meet the, the, the bill that we want. You're not the right one, not you. I came to tell you today that Gideon's life proves to us that God can tell you that you're enough for the task. And when God tells you you're enough for the task, you better believe you are the one. It doesn't matter all the problems you may have, and we're going to talk about the issues that uh, Gideon had, but it doesn't matter what any of them are. When God puts his stamp of approval on it, you better know the victory is going to be yours. And so I want you to go to chapter 6 of Judges, if you will, chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading around the 11th verse. I'll catch up on the first five in my message, but verse 6 reads, if you'll allow me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. That's where it came from, all right, her name, Oprah, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, 
Watch this now. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 13 reads, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned, that's a big word, abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 15, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? Watch this. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, you want to hear the Lord say this to you, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. This is an amazing scene. And I need to put some color on it for you so you understand exactly what happens. And it's an example for all of us because sometimes the reality of our life can blind us to the possibilities of our life. Yeah, can just blind us. We just, we can't. But God allows tough times to focus us. All right? He allows tough times to come into your life so that you can focus. So when we open chapter 6, what you didn't see in verses 1 through 5 is a problem. The Midianites have been ravaging Israel, tearing them up. Let me tell you who the Midianites are. The Midianites, this is going to sound ugly, and it's probably, yeah. The Midianites are like roaches. Yeah, they come scurrying out, and they destroy everything in the country. Take everything. They were a nomadic people. The Midianites. So, 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 I, so you understand what that means? That they didn't have a fixed place that, that was their boundary. They lived in tents and areas like that. And because of that, because of that, they didn't have places where they regularly grew crops or kept their animals, but they moved along. And as they moved along, they destroyed everything. One theologian said they were like locusts. But we don't understand the locust analogy today because we don't see how locusts can come in and tear up a whole farmer's crop for the whole year. But that's what they would do. They would come in and they would take everything. And so every year, the Israelites would plant and they would make sure they tended their crops. And every year around harvest time for seven years, everybody say seven. For seven years at harvest time, the Midianites would come in and take everything. Everything. Soon as it was time for harvest, they watched and they had spies there. And they would come in and leave nothing for the Israelites. It was horrible. And because there were so many of them, the Israelites couldn't fight back. And so they worked all year tending their crops getting everything ready, and they're ready to celebrate the harvest, and at the end of the harvest, they have nothing to show for. And so as we open chapter 6, what we find is a result of seven years. Think about that now. Not one year, not two years, not three years you did all this work and got nothing to show for, not four or five years. Not even six years, which you would be out of your mind by that point. But seven years, somebody has come and done this to you. And so 
It got so bad that the, the Israelites had started living in caves in the hills to protect what the little they had. And so now, let me shine a light on the scene that opens. It says that Gideon was in a wine press. Okay? A wine press can be inside. And if you've never seen it on TV, how they make wine, they would take the grapes or the olives or whatever, and they would, they would put them in a press to squeeze all the liquid out of it. It's something that's done in a confined space. But he wasn't making wine, or he wasn't making wine in the wine press. He was doing an outside activity on the inside to hide from the Midianites. The activity that he was doing was separating wheat from chaff. You ever seen wheat growing? Maybe you haven't. The, 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 the part of the grain that you want is heavy. And what you do when you separate it is you beat it so that the heavy part falls to the ground and the light part that covers it flies up in the air. The chaff blows away. That's how you harvest wheat. Necessarily, if that's how you harvest wheat, you got to be outside, right? Because it's going to fly up in the air and look like smoke, which means that anybody can see you are harvesting wheat. And that's how Gideon is harvesting this year. Why? Somebody can say this, because he was scared. Because he was nervous. Because he's seven years into this thing, and his family doesn't have any results to show for all the work they've done, so he is hiding in the cave, in the wine press, doing an inside, I mean, an outside activity on the inside, which means you know it was a mess. While he's there harvesting the wheat that way, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord came and sat down at a tree right near him and started talking to him. This is called Gideon's commission. And he tells him, now watch this, I'm in the wine press, I'm harvesting wheat. Angel of the Lord, uh, Cash comes and sits next to me at a tree and says, hello, mighty warrior. Somebody might say that the angel of the Lord was trying to be funny. Because the last thing that Gideon would see himself is, is as a mighty warrior. When he's sitting in a wine press, hiding from somebody. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, God sees us differently than we see ourselves. Oh yeah, yeah. And God allows these tough times like this to help us focus on the possibility that there is another way. And the angel comes to him and says to him that God has something for you to do. And immediately Gideon responds with his natural mind by saying, God, if God is with us, why is all this stuff happening to us? Yeah, is this the same God who I'm told in the past did thus and, and so? All he can rehearse back to the angel is his pain. That's all we do. Not his possibility. Because pain can dampen your ability to see what's ahead of you. Yeah. You know somebody right now who had a problem and they keep walking in that problem. They rehearse that problem every time you talk to them. That's all they do. They remind you. Well, I would be doing better now, but you know, such and such happened to me. Oh, don't act like you don't know. And some of y'all are the one who do that. You got yourself in that space, and you don't know how to get out of it. Can I tell you this? God allows problems to come into our lives to focus us on him. To focus us on him, getting closer to him, not to mess with you. You're not that important that God has to stop universe activities to mess with you. The world is doing enough of a job in messing with you. What God is doing is trying to focus you 
on what he can do in your life if you'll allow him to. Watch this. Solomon wrote this. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father, the son he delights in. He loves you too much to let you keep living the way you are. And so he lets stuff come into your life. And he wants to be the center of your life. So he designs, come here, Job, your troubles. And they're always for your good. Always for your good. When tough times come, instead of looking at them as God is punishing you, we got to mature enough to see what God is doing in this trouble for me right now. And I know that's hard. Oh, that's hard because the last one you think about sometimes when you're in trouble is the Lord. And that's the problem. He wants to be the first one you turn to. Every experience in life is a test. How you respond to it shows your spiritual growth. C.S. Lewis said this, you know, C.S. Lewis. Some of you don't know him, if you know him from, from the secular world. And he's gotten popular in the secular world, even though C.S. Lewis was, in fact, a theologian. He got popular in the secular world from writing the Chronicles of Narnia and those movies that were on TV. Uh, the Witch, the Wardrobe, and the Lion. Yeah, that's him. That, you know him from that. He wrote those but he is, in fact, a theologian. Yeah. And he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's the megaphone to rouse a deaf world. If God wants to get your attention, he's usually not going to be able to do it by just giving you blessings even though they've come from him, he's not going to just get your attention. But let some pain come in your life. And suddenly, he's got you focused. You're calling on him, Lord, help me out right now. Yeah. And so God, you should know, God allows tough times to come about to focus us. Not only does he allow tough times to come about to focus us, but God sees more than we do, of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wonderful thing about God is that even though we're slow to return to us, he's never slow in responding to us. It might take you seven years to realize that you're in trouble, but when you say, Lord, help me, he's there. He won't let seven years go by before he responds to his children's cry. He'll respond immediately. Verses 7 and 8 in that passage show us that when we cry to God, he moves in mercy. He tells us the truth too now. He tells us when we're out of sorts with him. Because we have to understand that knowing the truth helps us move on down the line and get things together. All right? But he's got a plan for Gideon that Gideon doesn't see for himself. In case you wonder, if God is trying to mess with Gideon, he's not. No. He's trying to make Gideon understand that his problem that he's in right now is not the totality of his promise. And that's what I've come to tell you today. Do you know, and ask you that question, do you know who you really are? I'm, I'm asking you that question. Do you know who you really are? One of the biggest things we tell ourselves is that God only uses special people. And I got news for you today, all right? When God uses you, you're a special person, <laughs> all right? God doesn't just weed through the population and say, oh, he's special. 
I'll use him or I'll use her. I came to tell you today, God uses anybody he wants to. And when he identifies you, he equips you, and that makes you a special somebody. He doesn't just use somebody who's doing all right at the time. Yeah. Plenty of folk had problems when God called them. And yet he used them. He wants you, almighty warrior, to take off your mask. And he wants you to understand, first of all, that you are wearing a mask. Some people don't even realize it. They've been wearing it for so long that they've forgotten who the original person is that God wanted them to be. You've been putting on your mask for so long, you forgot that you're not your alter ego. Yeah, that's the mask. That's what you've been wearing for folk. And you've become that character as opposed to being what God designed you to be. So my question is, do you know who you, who you really are? Yeah. Let me, let me give you this already as a platform. Those of you in there who are in here who are in Christ, you know that you are already his child. All right? You're already a masterpiece from that standpoint. You've already been justified. You've been freed forever from the condemnation of the enemy. You've been adopted into his family already. Now, this somebody in here who doesn't think they're good enough, you already have this stuff on your resume. But you don't look at it like this. Not only that, you've already gotten citizenship in heaven. It's already yours. You belong to God. You've never been separated from his love. Already these things are on your resume. You have everything you need from him for life and godliness. The only barrier that you have is what's in your mind. It's what's in your mind. So my question to you is, do you know who you are? And even if you don't, he's working to help you identify your identity in him. I came to tell you today that when God says it, you're enough. All right? So let me tell you this now. God sees more than you do or we do. And when, since he's talking to you, he's walking with you. Since he's talking to you, he's already walking to you. Now, one of the things we do when we find ourselves in a sinful state is stop talking. We stop communicating with folk. And the Lord. But if you find yourself in a conversation with the Lord, all right, know this, he hadn't moved. He's been listening the whole time, just waiting on you to start the conversation. Yeah, watch this. So after being called a mighty warrior, Gideon asked God this question. He said, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told him about? And then, if you got your Bible on you, or you can put it up here for me, if you will, verse 14. There's something in verse 14 that should blow your mind. Because it's for folk, I want you to understand, when God loves you and is giving you your assignment, it's personal. It's personal. It's not by accident. Verse 14 records that and this had to blow Gideon's mind. It says that the Lord looked upon him. All right? Hear me now. The angel of the Lord sitting under the tree. Bible says the Lord. Theophany. And when Gideon asked him the question, he said, why? What about what's happened? Why are we in this situation? The Bible says that the angel of the Lord turned to him and looked him in the eye. That means you got my complete attention. I'm completely focused on you right now when I tell you that the Lord has not abandoned you. All right? And the Lord said, thou shalt have save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. He said, go in this thy might. In other words, I'm looking you in the eye and I'm telling you that God is with you. This is the boy who's hiding out in the wine press. A minute later, he's looking God in the eye and God is telling him, 
I'm saving you. Not only am I saving you, you are going to be the reason your whole people are saved. Gideon is existing in his limitations, but God is speaking to his elevation. Yeah, he's existing just, he's the only limitation he has is himself. And some of you sitting here right now, your only limitation is that you're too scared to apply for the job. You're too scared to have the conversation with the person. That's your limitation. You're living, if that's a, if that's a wall, you're living behind that wall. And you're wondering why things that God wants you to do won't materialize because there's some things he can't do for you. You got to do it for yourself because it shows your faith in him. But as long as you're willing to sit behind that wall of fear, then God is gracious enough to let you sit there. But the only one limiting, being limited is you. And Gideon could have sat there in that wine press living like that from then on if he didn't believe the Lord, but he didn't do that. No. God confirms his priorities with his presence in your life. Alright? If you matter, you should know that God is with you in the circumstances and said, you will strike down Midian. The fact that I'm sitting here in this wine press with you ought to let you know that I'm with you. Alright? And so Gideon is given, in that instance, an undeniable commission from the Lord. And even though he's given that undeniable commission, he was still doubting. Yeah. So I came to tell you, when you leave here today, you're going to know that even though something magnificent like this can happen, the human part of us can still have questions about what's going on. Yeah. Verse 22 says that in order for Gideon to move forward in his commission, God had to straighten him out just a little bit more. All right. And he says that all the pieces start falling into place for Gideon. He cries out, no, Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face and his fears were comforted. Gideon's fears were comforted by the fact that God's presence were there. And so he, in response to that, builds an altar in that place to the Lord. Gideon had to have a personal encounter with the Lord, but he met him right where he was. But there was a problem. Gideon still had some stuff going on in his family that was a problem. And so before you can move forward, you're not going to like this. Don't get mad at me. It's in the Bible. Before you can move forward with whatever the Lord has you doing, you should know that personal sanctification must precede public elevation. Personal sanctification must precede public elevation. All right? Before God can use Gideon publicly, he had to clean up his own house. All right? Gideon said, not only is my clan the smallest, in the clan, I'm the least of them. They think less of me than anybody else. And the angel said, but you got to go in there and straighten up your house. Because in the backyard of your daddy's house, there is an idol. There's a pole raised for an idol, Baal. He said, you need to go in there and cut down the pole. Yeah, cut down the pole in your daddy's backyard that all your family comes in and worships because y'all have gotten so far from the Lord. And then I want you to go and take your daddy's favorite bull and sacrifice him on the altar with the wood you just cut down from the idol. Oh, this trouble. This trouble. He said, if you want to know if I'm with you, cut down the pole and sacrifice the bull. And Gideon did it. And they came for him. The family, his own family members came for him and were about to kill him. Now, he's the smallest one, but it's a funny thing when you start doing right. When you show courage, it'll make other folks show courage too. 
And so Gideon, the least of them all, Jared, steps up, cut down the pole, puts the bull on there to sacrifice him, cousin and uncle them coming for him, and guess who steps up to rescue him? His daddy. His daddy who had allowed it to take place in the first place, who had allowed all this stuff to go on, sees the courage of his youngest son, and he decides, if my son can be courageous like this, then I better step up and help my boy too. And so while the bull is being sacrificed, his daddy comes. While they're yelling, bring him out. Bring Gideon out here. He's got to die. And his father, Joash was his name, said to the men, would you, put him on the spot, said, would you plead Baal's case for him? He said, if he's God enough, can't he defend himself? Why do you have to kill Gideon for Baal's sake? If Baal want him dead, then let Baal kill him. Put him on their heels. Saved his son. This emboldened Gideon to the place that he knew that if God protected me from my clan, that he's going to walk with me all the way. And so Gideon does what God tells him to do, and he puts out a call for all of the Israelites, wherever they are, to come and to join him in the battle that they have to fight. And the Bible says that men came from everywhere. And they came from everywhere following him. 32,000 men show up because Gideon has had the courage enough to get out the wine press and do what God told him to do. He was afraid, didn't know 32,000 people were waiting on somebody to step up, step, step up and be the leader. And so they come. They come. Here Gideon is. He's come out of the wine press. He's put out a public call. And he still's got doubts. Still has doubts. Oh, it's not unusual. It's not unusual. You can be on the highest stage. God can put you out in front of everybody. And you still think you're not good enough. You're still struggling with the issues of life. You still think nobody, nobody really liked me for real. Can I tell you? God does. Why are you worried about folk? Can I, can I tell you this right now that's going on in our community? All of these stars have thousands of people following them on social media, and they still don't like themselves. They are committing suicide at record rates because they're unhappy, because they want people to like them, and they'll never find the satisfaction on social media. Because the same ones who follow you today will unfollow you tomorrow. The same one who like what you do today will just not hit like just because tomorrow. They're trying to find satisfaction in the wrong places. This is what Gideon was doing. Gideon is still trying to satisfy himself that he has to be liked instead of concentrating on the fact that God loves him. Even though there are 32,000 people willing to follow him Gideon, even after his personal encounter with God, Gideon still has doubts about whether or not God blesses him and loves him. And he asked him, he said, well, Lord, I know you've been with me. I know you got me in this space right now, but, but I, need, I need you to do one more thing. For me. I just need you to verify, Lord, that you're going to be with me when we go into battle. Even after you've shown up, even after 32 men have registered, even after all of that, I need, you to, I need you to show me something. So, Lord, tonight, he said, can you do this? I'm going to put a fleece out, a fleece, and I'm going to lay it on the ground. And, Lord, if it's you, if, you, if you're going to be with me, I'm going to lay the fleece on the ground. And in the morning, if it's you, Lord, I want all of the ground to be dry but the fleece to be wet. And that'll tell me that it's you and you only, Lord. I love this about the scripture because God doesn't get upset with him. God is patient in our faith walk. He's patient with us. He's not offended by our questions, even though this doubting Thomas of the Old Testament needs more reassurance, God loves us enough 
to give us that reassurance. Your folk might not have patience with you, but God will have patience with you. In the morning when Gideon gets up, it's just as he thought. He picks up the fleece, fleece and wrings out a bucket of water, and the ground is completely dry around. And one would say, all right, Gideon, pick up your spear, let's go. It's time to go to battle. Gideon still got problems. See, see, we're impatient. We're impatient with folk. That ought to be enough. But it was okay with God. And Gideon said, Lord, I, I, you know, this is me, Gideon. He said, remember, you know, wine press? That, yeah, that Gideon, you know. He said, this time, if it's really you, Lord, if it's really you, Lord, he said, I'm going to put the fleece down one more time. <laughs> this is what he said. I'm going to put the fleece down one more time. And, and this time, I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. God was okay with it. Because he knew Gideon needed reassurance. And the next morning when Gideon got up, the entire ground was wet with dew. And the fleece was completely dry. He validated. He validated Gideon's faith. And I came to tell you today, I know personally, asking the Lord to show you something, to make sure it's him, he'll answer that. I know he'll do it. Because he's done it for me. I know he'll do it. I know he'll do it. All my life, folk told me, boy, you're going to be a preacher. All my life, I'm a little boy, they tell me, you're going to be a preacher. I'm in high school playing around with my friends. An adult come up to me in the middle of it and said, boy, you're going to be a preacher. And I'm saying to myself, what? Am I glowing or something? What, what is going on? I'm coming through the lunch line playing with my kids or my friends, you know, getting ready to pay the lady. And I give, up my, I give her my money to pay for my lunch. And she take my money and said, boy, you know what? You're going to be a preacher one day. And I'm saying, what is it that folks see in me that I can't see in myself? And then, and then it happened. And, and I thought I heard him. And I thought he said, Andre, I want you to do this for me. By then, many years had passed. I was grown and college educated and used to run around saying to folk all the time when they were still saying, you're going to be a preacher. And I say, well, folk think any black man that can speak pretty decently going to be a preacher. You ain't got to be no preacher. Until he said it. I didn't give you that for you. That there's a greater purpose for you being able to communicate like this. These opportunities I've been giving you are bigger than you. It's not just so folk can like Andre or listen to Andre. He said, I, I got more for you to do. And it got to the place that I couldn't shake it no more. I couldn't rest no more. I couldn't get up and speak in any situation without mentioning something about the law. I'd be down at the beach talking to social workers and somewhere in it, I got to talk about the Lord and you know, Somewhere in the whole speech I got to put for our clothes uh, and may the Lord be with y'all. It got to be something in it. It just couldn't shake it. And so finally it got to the point I said, well, Lord, if it's you telling me to do this, I need to know. Because I don't come from a family that play with this. I know the advisors that I had, they serious, you know. And they told me, well, just ask the Lord to show you. That's what they told me. Just ask the Lord to show you. They even referenced Gideon. And I said, well, all right. I said, well, Lord, if you want me to be a preacher, then I want you to do it only. I want you to give me a speaking engagement at a church. Not just in it, because I was speaking everywhere. At a church, specifically. And I want you to do it by this date. Yeah, so, you know, we on the clock. Yeah, no, well, maybe. We on the clock. And the day comes, and I don't hear nothing from the Lord. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it because I'm like, well, I asked for the sign and he didn't give it to me. All right, let's move on, all right? Do what you're doing. So the day after the deadline, I get up, and I'm, we were living on Bush Boulevard at the time, and I go upstairs to do something, and Anthony's room was upstairs. And, uh, you know, we, we exchanged greetings, and I said, what's up? And he said, everything good? He said, oh, Dad, you got a phone call last night. And I said, what? He said, yeah, this lady called you from his church. She wants you to come be the speaker for youth day. And I said, Lord, I hear you. But to make matters worse in terms of confirmation, it wasn't just any church that called. The first pastor that I knew in my life was a man named J.W. Croom at First Baptist Graymont. Just so happened that not only did he confirm in that way that, yeah, I'm calling you, but I want you to go back to the first one you knew. And it was at First Baptist Graymont that they wanted me to come and be the youth speaker. And I said, Lord, I hear you. I hear you. There was any doubt in my mind now. There's no doubt in my mind. And I went. And I've been talking and teaching and preaching ever since. Never 100% sure that, you know, I was good enough, but never having any doubt that he called me. Never had any doubt that he wanted me to do this. And I found out that on my worst days when I'm struggling, he confirms that he's with me. He gives me words to say in spaces that I don't even know what to say. He shows me how to say things that I didn't even understand. Before I stood up in the pulpit, my sermon was this way. By the time I sat down, it had come out a completely different way, which validates to me that if I'm courageous enough to stand up and open my mouth, he'll speak for me. It's happened too many times. I know for a fact that God will be with you. And so he will develop our doubts into devotions. And that's why I have to do my homework. I have to sit down. I have to prepare. And I know the toll is taken on my household and my family. I know that for the last 20 years, 20 plus years, my wife becomes uh, by herself on the weekend. I know that. Yeah. It's that kind of sacrifice that come Friday, our house just, the rhythm is there now. I know it, but I also know what God told me to do, and he has manifested himself in so many other ways to validate, I think, what's been taken. People sometimes don't understand what pastors have to go through. Yeah, every weekend of every year for 20 years is a long time not to have your own space to do your thing. And that's just on Sunday morning stuff. Not to mention the other things through the week and the other issues and the other. But God has been faithful. Just like he was faithful with Gideon, when Gideon got the confirmation, God never forsook him. He took care of him. And so once Gideon understood that God was going to be with him, God had to make sure that it wasn't Donnell who got the glory. That it wasn't Gideon who got the glory. God had to make sure that it was God who got the glory. So if you look in the story, you'll see that Gideon had 32,000 people. God said, that's too many. That's too many. God said, because if I let you send 32,000 people out there, you'll say you did it yourself. He said, so... Look around your men and identify the ones that's nervous. Everybody that's nervous, I can't use them. So God said, tell them they can all go home. And when Gideon looked at the men who were nervous, it was 22,000 men that were nervous. It only left them 10,000 men, but he had to tell 22,000 men to go back home. God said 10,000 is still too many. 
Gideon getting nervous himself then. And he said, I tell you what, take them down to the water. Tell them all to get something to drink. And I'll tell you which ones to keep. And so the man went down to the river to get something to drink. And God said, all the ones who put their face down in the water and drink like this, he said, tell them they can go. But the ones who use their hand like a cup, you can keep them. And when it was all over, Gideon had to tell 9,700 men that they could go home, which only left him with 300 folk. Now he went from 32,000 people to 3,000 people. When God wants you to know that it's him, it's him. He gave him 1% of the folk to fight with, to fight hundreds of thousands. In fact, it was 450 people to one based on the odds. God told him, get ready. I want you to get trumpets and I want you to get jugs and I want you to go up in the mountain and when I tell you to come down, I want you to come down and you're going to take every one of them. The Bible said that Gideon and the 300 men went up and at night, in the darkest part of the night, God told him, now I want you to take them. I want you to blow the horn. They blew the horn. I want you to break the bottles that you have. And they started breaking the bottles. And the Bible said that when the noise started in the middle of the night, the Midianites became so confused, watch this now, that they turned on each other and started stabbing and killing each other. And when it was all over, every Midianite was dead by their own hand. And God had given them the victory. Like he said he would. Can I tell you that when God tells you, you'll get the victory. Don't worry about how he does it. That's his business. You just have to be faithful. Gideon became the victor for a little while. And then he messed up and got arrogant. And that's another story, but every one of the judges went up and then they went all the way down. And I came to tell you today, it doesn't have to be that way with you. You can continue to be faithful to the Lord. Gideon didn't do it. He ended up dying after he was unfaithful. But I came to tell you today that God wants you to do more than you've been doing if you have faith enough to trust him. If he says you're enough, you're enough. How do I know that? Because he was willing to give his son for you. Yeah, if ever I get any doubt on what I should be doing, I just remember that Jesus died for me. First he lived for me. And then he was willing to give his whole life and devotion to showing me how to live. And then he died for me. But not only was he willing to die for me, God loved him enough to resurrect him. That's in the power of Jesus Christ's resurrection that we stand today, knowing that he died for us, but he now lives for us. And I wonder if somebody today came and found out that Jesus died for him. I wonder if there's somebody today who understands that Jesus gave his life for their salvation. If today you've heard that somebody's willing to sacrifice everything for you, and all he asks in return is that you accept that sacrifice, then I extend an invitation for you to accept it. I extend that invitation for you to know that Jesus Christ loves you, and he loves you and he lives for you. If you're here today, you're willing to accept it, and the opportunity is here for you now. The doors of our church are open, but the doors of heaven are open as well. Come to Jesus. If you're here right now, come. God says you're enough today. You are enough. He wants you to know he loves you. 